Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Kim Mooney, a lieutenant with the Richmond Police Department. Kim's current assignment is at the police academy, and she and I speak about what she sees in the new recruits and what she and the rest of the academy staff try to impart to them. She and I also talk about the assignments that she's worked in her 17 years with the department. Kim had initially reached out to me in response to a promo I did asking for people to come on the podcast and talk about topics that can be hard to talk about. Kim suggested talking about gay and lesbian cops and volunteered to come on the podcast to discuss. Since she has a wife and four kids, I figured she knew what she was talking about, and here she is. Take a listen to our conversation and let me know what you think. And welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Kim Mooney with the Richmond Police Department. How are you, Kim? I am great. How are you, Jamie? I'm fine. I'm fine. Can you give us a little background on your uh, time with the department? Well, I've been here for, it's coming up to 17 years um, this November. So, got an opportunity to do a lot of fun stuff here. Um, right now, I'm currently a lieutenant at the training academy. Um, and it kind of dipped my toe into all the different avenues that I can think of here at the department. <laughs> and, no, you started out in patrol, I guess, correct? Yes. When, what precinct? Uh, second precinct, the best precinct there is. <laughs> well, I went first, so we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll discuss that <laughs> later. And from where'd you go from patrol? What are your, the kind of steps you took within the department? Um, from patrol, I got the opportunity to go to the narcotics division. So I, I went down there after only about a year and a half on the street. Um, they were completely redoing it, and I went for it and got it. Um, and then I spent uh, about five years down in narcotics, Um Decided I needed to change, needed to do something different, so I went to major crimes. Um, from there, I got promoted to sergeant, went to 4th Precinct, uh, spent some time there, and then went back to major crimes uh, as a detective. Um, in there, I had some time in our Kalia, or in our planning division where I worked on Kalia um, when I was pregnant and dealing with that. Um and then for major crimes, I got promoted to lieutenant and got the opportunity to go back to second as a sector lieutenant. Did that for a little while. Then I went to HR, um, hiring and uh, recruiting. And then from there, I went to a brand new position, which was an XO to the deputy chief, which was new when this chief came. And the deputy chief really had no idea what my job was. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of showed up and asked him what he wanted me to do every day. And then from there, I came to the training academy. And so that's where you're at now. And didn't you guys just graduate yes. like 19, is it 19 new recruits? Yes, yes. On Friday, we graduated um, the newest class. So they're um, very young class. So they're very excited. Um, hopefully, we'll keep them all. You know, I've had several conversations with them. I hope they're all at least going to stay for a few years. Um, but yeah, that's, it's exciting. And that leads me to another point as well. Is the, for I know you said you're in HR and recruitment, and now you're in the training academy. Are you seeing any um, difference in the attitude of recruits with the kind of policing climate? Is it harder to keep them motivated? I've I've heard both things. I've heard that the new new officers are very excited to be there and very gung ho to get out there. Um, but I've also heard that some people are a little concerned about just kind of the climate that we're in now. What is what has been your experience speaking with them directly? I think my experience is the fact is as a young officer. Um, if you think about when you applied and when I applied, you're very naive to what the real world brings you mm -hmm. and what this job actually is. So when they come in, they're super excited. Um, they're ready to change the world and they think that they're going to be that officer that changes the world. And I, I love it. And I, I tell them, hang on to that as long as you can. Um, 
but they come in just as excited as we were because they don't really know the reality of it. The problem comes in is when they start to hit that field training phase and and then the streets and they realize that they're not going to change the world by themselves. Um, a lot of people don't like them. And then they start to debate, is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to be a cop on the street now than it was when I came in because when I came in, everybody loved us. And granted, we've went up and down that cycle at least three or four times since I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it's harder for them. So when they hit the streets and they start to get that pushback, it's harder for them to remember why they started and understand that things will get better. Um, but they're still very excited to start the job. But again, when reality kicks in, it, sometimes it's a different story. Yeah, well, I guess they'd, they'd definitely be aware of of the climate. But like you said, not until they actually get out there and interact with yes. some people who don't like them, do they? Yes. does the reality really sink in. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think they're very aware of it, but they don't realize the, the change when you put that uniform on and how that, that changes you and the perception of people. Like Now it's you versus them for some people. Um, it's why are you doing this to me? And you are now painted as the bad guy instead of thinking, well, I'm going to be a great officer. I'm going to treat everybody fairly. Uh, everybody's going to love me. Well, and that might be very well be the case, and it is for most, but people aren't going to see that until they get to know you. And then do people really want to get to know you? Not always. So um, it's that pushback and that reality that sets in and say, wait a minute, a lot of people don't like me and I haven't gotten the opportunity to, to save anybody or to change anybody yet. And they expect those quick results very quickly. Um, and, you know, that takes time for people to get to know you and for you, the community get to, to, to know you. So. And have you found, is the community still, for the most part, behind the police department in your experience or from what you speak with other officers or is it, is it hard to I, judge? No, I think so. I think in Richmond especially, we've we've spent years and years of doing community outreach and working with the citizens in Richmond. Every time I have a uniform on and I'm out there, I get people constantly coming up to me, thanking me, telling me how much they love RPD. Um, it's, it's when the outsiders come in and they don't really know us as a department. Mm-hmm. I think the city does really understand us. Um, the new college kids that are coming in, they don't know our department. They don't really know what we do. Um, so they set that a lot of times it's them and the outsiders setting that negative tone who don't understand us. But I, I think Richmond itself still very much behind the city or behind the department. Do you see race playing an issue in the Richmond police department and dealing with the community that you've noticed? I personally have ne- not, I have never in, in my years that I've been here, I have never dealt with or seen race play into any of the decisions that I've seen officers make or mm-hmm. um, dealing with. So I, I don't think so. Um, I think we train better than most departments um, and I think our expectations are higher, but coming from where I've been and what I've seen, I've, I've never seen it play into anything. And I'd never seen it either. And I wanted just kind of people to understand that, you know, lo- Especially last year, Richmond kind of got lumped into this huge, this huge, um, the fund the police kind of movement, stuff like that. And oh, absolutely, we were being blamed for stuff going on in uh, like Minneapolis, and they were telling us to make changes, but we never, we never had those things on our on our training anyway, such as chokeholds oh, and whatnot. And it doesn't seem like. People knew that, and that was uh, one of the frustrations for a lot of the officers I spoke with because they were like, we do that anyway, but yet we're still being lumped together with all these other departments. Yes, and that was one of the big things that I heard time and time again. Every time they put out this list of demands or list of things we should be doing, 
we could go down those lists and check them all and say, we're doing all this. And maybe that's on us that we didn't put that out there enough Mm -hmm. that we didn't demonstrate to the community. Hey, look at all this stuff we're doing. You know, we were teaching like fair and impartial policing. We were teaching that to our guys in 2016, well before any department around us started teaching it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And people, and, the community doesn't see that because we don't advertise it. We don't put that out there, but we're, we're teaching stuff um, well before it's ever an issue like de-escalation. We came up with our own de-escalation program in 2019 that we taught to the entire department. We finished up teaching last year, but before um, peer intervention and, and peer intervention in policing was a thing, we were already teaching peer intervention here. So we've always kind of been in, in front of the curve. And that's one of the things I love about the city's training. And now the opportunity that I have, to, to push that even further along is the fact that we've been, we've been, we've been ahead of the curve the whole time. And we just don't put it out there enough. I was, and that was my next question. What, how can we put it out there, Kim? What is the best way to do that? Do you think? I don't know. Um, to be honest, I, I think unless we're offering some of these classes to civilian groups, mm-hmm. um, um, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to put certain things out there when it's not an issue. Um, and media doesn't want to pick up a, a feel-good story of, oh, hey, look at what the police are training this week, you know. Mm-hmm. So outside of community group meetings where um, where we actually talk about, hey, this is what our officers are training on. But before – I'd just say that before 2020, people didn't really care what we were doing. Mm-hmm. They weren't really concerned about what we were training with. So it's, it's kind of that um, when it's the big hot issue, they want to know everything. But when it's not, they don't really care. And that's that's part of the, the I guess the the tragedy of it because you, you said we've been doing that for years and years and while we were doing it it wasn't important to necessarily yeah. the the media. However, once 2020 came around and we'd been doing it for years, nobody cared that we'd been doing it for years. Yes, exactly. So very frustrating, very frustrating. Um, yes. Now let's talk a little bit. You reached out to me because I put a promo out to speak about hard topics um, that some people aren't comfortable talking about, and race is one of them, as well as um, sex and gender. Um, you are gay, and you have never hidden that, correct, with the department or with well, I don't know within your life. Talk a little bit about that. You're married, correct? Yes, so I'm, I'm married with four kids. Um, I, I hit it for a long time. I didn't actually come out till I was 22 and I, I had a job and I had a house. Um, <laughs> so I knew I would never You're have solid. To you got it. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> um, and at that point I finally came out to my family. Uh, it was a, a very contentious and, and very hard, uh, for a little while. Um, they had sent to change their mind once they realized I'm kind of a nor- quote unquote normal person. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, um, but now my family loves my wife more than they love me. I think most days, but, <laughs> but yeah, in the department, I came out very early to my partner on the street when I was working patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then I just kind of vowed that I was always just going to be me. Um, I've never had any issues with it. Um, and, I, but I've also had some older, lesbians who've been here who've never been out mm-hmm. come up to me and say i can't believe you're able to to be out because they were always so scared to be out did they, they were, come out or have they, are they still not out um i they have since retired that I've, I've had that conversation with at least two people who have since retired mm-hmm. um and i just think they've never felt comfortable or they always felt that it was going to hinder them really um but i think it's a different atmosphere now i i know uh, a lot of especially for women it's easier for us to come out, I think, than men. 
um, and especially in our department because mm-hmm. we have a lot of out women, but we only have one semi-out male. And but then you go to Henrico and they have several gay men that work there. Um, and Why are fine is that? Them. What do you think the difference is between the city and the county that uh, would make the men not want to come out? I don't know. I think I think once you finally get one or two that say I'm out and I'm okay, then it gives permission for other men to be okay with that. In in our you know in this profession, it's very male dominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, very there's you know machismo, all that stuff. So it's very hard for guys to feel comfortable. I think being out for women, it's a different story. It's almost like they just make us one of the guys then, mm-hmm. um, whether that's right <laughs> that's, or not. That's but a, for me, it's, that's it's a good, never po- that's a good me. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's never bothered me. So, um, but I, I think it, I think we need a couple to kind of to say, Hey, it's okay. And I think then we'll see either more come out or more be comfortable to apply to the city. And you've said you've had, um, lesbian officers um come up to you how about any male um gay officers have they come out to speak with you knowing that you're openly gay um not me specifically some of my uh some of my friends here in the department they have um but it's again i think it's tough for them just given this environment i mean we had one transgender um, officer for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first assignment was working for me. Um, and I had to squash a lot before he even hit the street. Um, but he has since resigned and, uh, he was never comfortable being out and being okay with that. And that was, you know, his choice. I, I had hoped he would, because I think he would be a great voice for the department, but he was never comfortable with that. So I think it's just over time, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, kind of get more gay males to apply and be comfortable here. And we'll, it'll make us even better out in the community. I agree. I think the uh, well diversity. I think is a huge part of any police department. And oh, absolutely. Richmond, it seems like, is one of the most diverse departments in the area, at least, or yes, is getting and, there anyway. Yes. Well, percentage-wise, absolutely. If you look at, um, and I used to know the numbers when I worked in HR, but we are by far one of the most diverse with women as well as um, race compared to anybody in the Virginia area. And let me. Um, I wanted to go back and talk about. The um in like in New York City they had um I think it's is it the Pride Parade and they uninvited the gay members of the New York Police Department because they were lumping police in as saying you know abusers abusers or not being um kind to gay people that always kind of it it rubbed me the wrong way because I always felt that the police officers all police officers um treat people regardless of their sexual orientation or their race you know as either um, to help people out. So I always, what is your, your kind of feeling about that? Did that make you mad or not mad or what? It definitely, um, makes me upset. The The problem is, is that Richmond pride actually followed the same suit. They were going to oh, hold a, a pride event here and they too uninvited the police for the first time in history. Cause typically we go every year and we set up a booth and we're out there. Um, but they uninvited us this year before it got canceled. And, um, it was kind of a, a blow to us because we've worked really hard to build um, contacts and friendships with that community. We were constantly attending different events with them. Uh, we're constantly doing whatever we can for the community. Um, we now have, you know, Dan Minton, who's the captain here. He's our the, the lead liaison for the department. And the community just loves him. Mm-hmm. And now we have an, an entire liaison group um, that represents the department that now can attend those meetings, too. So. Um, there's obviously still some work to do. Um, it was disappointed that we got uninvited, especially given the relationships that we've been building. But 
I do understand the history. So there's a lot of history, even in Richmond. And I've sat down and I've talked to some members. We have a, a group called Prime Timers, and it's a group of um, older gay males. And uh, it's kind of like a social group here in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I've sat down and, and heard some of their stories of the harassment and that that they faced back in the um, even in the early 90s and late 80s, walking down the street and um, how that has played a part in their lives and, and how hard that was. Um, we've come a long way and they'll be the first to say that they haven't seen it in years and, and they don't think we're like that anymore. But it was a different time back then and it still sticks with some people. I think the problem is, is the younger generation hasn't gotten taken the opportunity to get to know us mm-hmm. and to get to know what we're all about. They, they're just going off of social media. They're going off of what the media is telling them instead of saying, hey, we need to get to know the police department and what, what can they offer us and what can't they offer us. Did the Richmond chapter, if you call it a chapter, give a reason for uninviting the Richmond Police Department or did they piggyback off of New York? I, I think it was just piggyback off of New York. I think it was just the, the current environment. And what do you think, what's the, Kim, what's the best way um, to change it? And not just necessarily for um, gay people, but overall, where do you see policing going uh, moving forward? It's a whole lot more community policing. Um, and we, it's hard because that's all we preach and that's all we do here. So it's constant saying, hey, come get to know us. We have, you know, we, we are all inclusive. We want to be part of the community. We want to reflect the community. Um, we do treat everybody fairly. We go out there every day and, and try to, to do what we do, do our jobs, but with integrity and treat and equality for everybody. Um, and it, until they have an actual experience with us, they go off of either rumors or stories, whether they be true or not, instead mm-hmm. of having their own personal experiences. Um, and, and it's all, it goes back to this contact theory that I teach in Fair and Impartial, that you don't get to know a member of a community until you actually go out there and have contact with that community. Um, and it's the same, we need them to do that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do it a lot with different groups, but we also need these, especially the younger generation, to stop making their decisions based solely off social media or media across the nation. They need to come and have contact with us as a department um, and just continue to look for opportunities to do that. And I think they need to know that we also need to enforce the law as well. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Because when I was, uh, when I, you were the person who did my exit interview when I retired, and I spoke about the kind of general sense of lawlessness that was going on around the time, and you agreed as well, and other officers had said the same thing. And I think you quoted one time, I can't remember, I guess it was the height of everything going on, when people were just kind of going up and down Broad Street, um, just obviously violating the law and we were unable to do anything about it yes oh absolutely and so so i think people need to understand that we need to enforce the law fairly and impartially but we still need to enforce the law when it's written on the books yes and that's part of that context it's part of understanding why we have to do what we do Mm -hmm. but it and it's and if you don't understand it then be able to have that format so you can ask questions you know or if if there's a if if the perception is skewed then you can ask the questions, well, why did you arrest that person and not that person? Well, this is why, you know, and, and I think if they take a moment and actually try to understand what we do, mm-hmm. then I think a lot of these preconceived notions would be completely, um, completely taken away. You know, it's the contact theory for me. It's, it's so personal when I, so when I first came out to my mom, um, we didn't talk for six months wow. and it was, 
it was very hard for me because my mom would call me on every holiday because I lived so far away. They mm-hmm. were up near Buffalo. And I remember after about six months, it was Easter, and I called her up, and we had some words. And uh, that was kind of the start of us talking again a little bit. So when I had bought my own house, I said, you know, I'd really like you and dad to come down and see my house. So they came down. And my dad's very quiet, so he's never really had much to say. He's just like, yeah, whatever, as long as you're happy. Um, <laughs> sounds, <laughs> like most, sounds like opinion- most dads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my mom's very opinionated. But I remember sitting in the living room, and she had been over. She'd been staying for two or three days. And we're sitting in the living room, and she looks at me, and she goes, wow, you really do live like everyone else. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> like you're from another what- planet? <laughs> uh, yes. Like, what image in your head did you have of me? I, I don't quite understand, but I'd love for her to expand. She, she stopped there. She's just like, I'm glad you're happy. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> well, what, what mis, mis, um, conceptions do you think straight people have about gay people that that you think that you'd say, no, that's, is it just like what your mom said, like you guys live differently or a different species or, I mean, what do you kind of <laughs> see? I think with some of the older um the older generation, you know, like my mom's age, mm-hmm. um, and she's in her late 60s now, I think unless they've had contact, they don't really understand it. It's one of those I don't understand. I think people, um, younger generations, I think even from my age down, you know, 40s and down, I think they they don't have a lot of misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more accepting. And then, you know, there's my kids who – my son, you know, tells everybody he's the man of the house. And they're like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I've got two moms and three sisters. I'm the man of the house. You know, like, it's nothing to him. Um, and that's good. I think that's, I mean, yeah. that's great. That is, I think that's the way it should be. I think it's the way gay, black, white, anything else. I think people are people, and it just needs to be matter of fact like that. Yes, and I, and I think it's definitely changing, especially the more, um, especially the more that uh, gay families have kids and we're teaching that inclusiveness and they're going to school and telling their friends, yeah, I've got two moms. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, I think times are definitely changing and that mindset will change. Um, hopefully, but you know, it, I, I think there's ebbs and flows and depending on what's going on in, in the environment and society at the time always kind of dictates that. I agree. One last thing. What would you say to somebody um, is who is on the fence about becoming a police officer and might be seeing everything going on. Because it's kind of, I think the needle's ebbed back a little bit now to more people are supporting the police, but it could always move to the other way again. What would you say to somebody who is on the fence about joining? I would tell them that if this is something they want to do, this is absolutely a calling. By no means has 17 years been easy, but Mm -hmm. I have loved every minute of it, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. Um, you absolutely get the opportunity to make a difference. Even if it's in one person's life, you absolutely mm-hmm. get the opportunity to make a difference. And this job is life-changing. If it's something you want to do, you've, you've got to follow your heart and do it. Um, there's going to be ups and downs, but at the end of the day, I can go home every night and I love what I do. And again, I wouldn't change it for anything. And I wouldn't have any other job in the world. Um, in 2020 was the first time I ever thought about that. I, I had a conversation with my wife and I said, what else am I going to do? Like if I really had to go do something else, what else can I, what else do I want to do? And this is all I want to do. Um, so I would tell them to absolutely go for it, that it's the most rewarding career you can have and you can have a lot of fun. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I tell the recruits all the time. This job is hundred percent what you make it. 
you can go out there and you can have a blast. I've never worked in a bad unit because I've always found people who like to do what I do mm-hmm. and we go out and we have a lot of fun doing it. And whether it's community work or whether it's actual policing or it's going out and being proactive, um, you can make this job exactly what you want it to be. And people do so. appreciate us. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, I think I hear more positive than I do negative, even throughout all of 2020. Mm-hmm. I heard more thank yous and more people bought me lunch everywhere I went. People bought me, um, coffees every, they buy you all because they want to show their appreciation. Mm-hmm. People love us more than they hate us. It's, it's the very small minority that is very outspoken. And they get the um, most press coverage as well. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Kim, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I hope you come back and talk to us again. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Well, take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. That's it, guys. What would you think of the episode? I had no idea that the Richmond Pride Parade had uninvited the police department, just like their counterparts up in New York. I also didn't know that, according to the older gay men that Kim has spoken with, the police generations before mine had mocked gay people in the street. If that's the case, I understand the mistrust that those men had for the police. I'd like to think that ignorance like that is in the past and that acceptance is more commonplace today. I think that outreach is a two-way street, and Kim mentions this as well. The police do outreach in the community, but the community should also do outreach with the police. The only way to fight ignorance is with knowledge, and who couldn't use a little more knowledge? I really enjoy talking to Kim, and I hope she comes back on the podcast. Look out for one another, and take care of each other. Thanks for listening.